and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Martin Bouchait. So Martin is of course a world-renowned strength and conditioning coach, sports scientist and researcher and his current roles include head of performance at Lille OSC and head of performance and research at Kitman Labs. Because of all this fantastic research into physiology, he's the perfect person today to discuss how you can use the anaerobic speed reserve to improve your conditioning prescription. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Martin onto the show. So Martin, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming. It's, uh, it's going to be an absolutely excellent topic and we're going to get into some depth on some interesting physiology. But before we do, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, sure. Um, so obviously, I'm I'm French. Uh, I have two amazing uh, kids and especially uh, a great wife, uh, which is the stuff that we always put on the side when we do this kind of uh, <laughs> work-oriented uh, job uh, podcast. But I think it's important to 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 start with this. Um, on the work side, um, yeah, I'm working with um, with a company that's called Kitman Lab. We offer um, an athlete management system, but I'm in charge more of the analysis where we do a lot of, uh, of cool data, machine learning, and kind of uh, in within club analysis. That takes me, that takes a lot of time uh, on my time at the moment. But in parallel, I'm also head of performance for Lille OSC. It's a, um, a football club in the first uh, French league. Uh, just started this uh, over, over the summer. And uh, in parallel of those real jobs, I would say, uh, I'm still doing some research publication and I also, I'm also about to publish a, a book with a colleague of mine, George Perry, uh, that we wrote about ego, uh, ego in high performance. Uh, and that's, that's coming in, uh, in the next couple of, uh, couple of weeks. I think that's, that's a super interesting one and uh, completely uh, completely left field compared to physiology and that kind of stuff. So I'm super interested to, to see that when it comes out and we can get a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but in terms of that physiology then, we're, we're going to discuss today the anaerobic speed reserve and why that's important. So can you kick, kick us off with what it is and then why practitioners should be aware of it? Oh Yeah, sure. Um, just before I go into definition, I'd just like to comment a little bit on where did that come from? And those initial papers from uh, Bundle way in the in the year 2000. So that's that's what I wanted to to mention is that we are talking about that now. We are in 2021, but these seminal papers, the first time I actually myself I read that was was 20 years ago. Uh, then discussion with my mate uh, Alberto Mendez Villanueva when I was working in Qatar this time 2009. Um, and then all the work we started to do with Heat Science with uh, Paul Lawson, and I guess if I'm here today is because you guys must have read the the review that we published with uh, Gareth uh, Sanford. So you see that, I mean, it's something that kind of looks new for some people, but it's been in the air for for a while, and I think that that's important. And it's been in the air, I said, I say for let's say the sports science community, but for coaches, for track and field coaches. I think like 100 or 200 years ago, they knew about it already, you know. So I think, and I'm going to try to, to define it as simply as the, the, the reserve of speed that is actually in between the maximal aerobic speed and the maximal sprinting speed. And I think by maximal sprinting speed, everyone understands that it's just the maximal speed that, that someone can reach if he's just sprinting as, as fast as he can. Maximal sprinting speed is the maximal aerobic speed is 
the speed, the lowest speed that is actually associated with your maximal oxygen uptake. If you were to do a kind of uh, incremental test on a treadmill or these kind of things. So I think those are two very specific locomotor speed that we test either in the lab as often for maximal aerobic speed and on a track for maximal sprinting speed. So this is the, the kind of the real scientific uh, definition. That's the difference, the range between those two speeds. But again, when I said that there was something that every single track and field coach has been using for a while is that every single coach has always had an idea of what would be those two locomotor uh, speeds of for, for each athlete. So, I mean, maximal speed, this is something that everyone can get from uh, 30, 40, 60 meters uh, maximal, maximal sprinting. And assessing maximal aerobic speed from a track and field coach is probably a 1500 or a 2K uh, time trial. And most of uh, track and field coach do those types of tests, you know. So, again, I think it's important before we go a bit deeper into the, the physiology and the stuff you want to discuss, saying that this is something that... We, we did not, and our bundle and Wayan in 2000, even them, did not invent anything. They just started to put a lot of uh, physiological background uh, for the rationale of its use and just to make it a bit more, let's say, um, they just clarify a little bit uh, with a scientific uh, approach and modeling the what would be the best use of it. But it's important to, yeah, to, to acknowledge that it comes from the field initially. I think it's it's very interesting that it has a, a long history as well. Um, but then, when you're gonna you're gonna put this together, right? You've mentioned two ways that we can measure it. So, with a, a maximum sprint speed and some kind of uh, aerobic type test, maybe a, a maximum aerobic test for fifteen hundred meters, for example. How do you then visualize that? Because that's that's important, right? You get two speeds. I mean, that's just two pieces of data. How do you then start to visualize that on a piece of paper or on a report to to start to then use that data? Well, I think we, we talk about speed, so you just have to imagine um, you need to assess this range and then the, the ratio between both. So I think if we start to put numbers between those, that will help people to, to get that in, in, in perspective. So if you think about the maximal aerobic speed, that's likely a speed that should be in between 16, 17 for an adult uh, male or female athlete kilometer per hour between 16 and 17 up to 20, 21 kilometers per hour. So that's, that's, that's the range of the, those, those, the, the values for, for this uh, locomotor entity. The other one will be between probably 28, 29, up to 30, 35. You read that uh, probably Bolt was uh, even greater. You see the headlines uh, for football players in the media hitting 36, 37. So that's the highest, the highest end. So about representing this reserve, uh, if you were know, to, to fill um, a tank or like the, and you were to start to fill the tank with, uh, with water, you will fill it up to 18 kilometers per hour. And then what you would be able to fill on the top of this, uh, this first level of water, the second part, if it was to be oil, because I think the oil st stays on the top of water, right? Um, the, the oil will be the, the amount of oil between those 18 to those 30-ish. Uh, and this amount of oil that you can put in, in there is what, again, we call the anaerobic, anaerobic speed reserve. Absolutely fantastic. So there, there are also some different ways to measure that as well, right? So you mentioned the 1500 meter test, but you've done uh, a lot of research into the, the, the 3015 test. So could you give us a little bit of background as to how that one fits into a team sport setting? 
Yes. So again, um, I think we have to start from the fact that we have we have to be aware that there is almost an an a, a very specific end test speed for each protocol. So the the more conventional way, as I said, you can do a time trial over fifteen hundred or two k. That's that gives you a time, and then you just look at the average speed during this time trial is likely to be roughly your maximal aerobic speed. That's the, probably the easiest way to implement, but that's not always the most uh, accurate or reproducible way to do because that requires spacing and, and so on. But it's a good way to, to have something. This is why now from the late 80s, uh, people have started to develop uh, incremental tests, both on a treadmill or on the field. When I say incremental, is that you just start to run at a given speed, at a, at a set pace. And depending on the protocol, you're going to increase your speed, your running speed every minute, every two minutes, every three minutes. And every time you go a bit faster, a bit faster, a bit faster, until you're just exhausted and, and you stop. And when you stop, you're very likely to stop as well at the time where you were close to using as much oxygen as you could, your VO2 max. And that's why the speed that coincides with this moment of exhaustion also coincides with uh, your, the, the, the time you reach your two max and so on. But again, the start of what I wanted to say is that it's protocol dependent. So I'm sure everyone can understand that if you were to increase the speed every minute, you're still likely to reach a faster speed than if you increase uh, the speed every four minutes because you're just going to get tired by running four minutes at 10 and then four minutes at 12 and then four minutes, you know. So the... The, the speed you reach is protocol dependent. And that's probably one of the first limitation of saying, okay, let's, let's assess maximal aerobic speed because it is protocol dependent. So every time you want to compare things and compare athletes or follow, or follow the same athlete, you have to make sure that you, are, you take the protocol, uh, the, the type of protocol into, in, into account. And then you have the, the 3015 test, which yes. obviously has a very different protocol to uh, a continuous aerobic test. So what, what are then the benefits of that when you look at field sports? So, yeah, so the, the, the 3015 does not assess maximal aerobic speed. It, assess, it assesses roughly the overall locomotor profile. So because the... The, the protocol is intermittent. So 30-15, you run for, 13, for 30 and you rest for 15. Because of this ability to rest, every time you start a new interval, a new increment, you'll, be, you'll have yeah, regain a bit of energy. So at the end, let's say if an athlete does a continuous uh, maximal aerobic speed test, he will end up, let's say, at 18. When he does the 30-15, he will end up at 20 maybe or 21. And those couple of extra kilometers are related to, on one side, his ability to recover, as I said, because he recovered as he was doing the test. But the beauty of the 3015 is that this is also going to be related to his reserve. And uh, to make my point before, when we have athletes with a MIS maximum speed of 18 and then a, a reserve of, uh, let's say, 12, so because he has a maximal sprinting speed of, uh, of 30, for another athlete who may have the exact same maximal aerobic speed of 18, if the second one has a max sprinting speed not of 30 but 35, 
he will definitely have a better max. Uh, he will a bit. Uh, he will better perform on the thirty fifteen. So instead of reaching twenty one, twenty or twenty one, he will reach probably twenty two or twenty three, just because he has more reserve above his kind of aerobic ceiling. Then it gives him a bit uh, a better capacity and a, a better ability to tolerate in uh, efforts in the high intensity zone, and. We're kind of answering the question as, at the same time we mentioned the 3015, but this is the actual value of this anaerobic speed reserve to allow for more tolerance in this high intensity zone. So for a similar maximum aerobic speed, a higher reserves gives you a better tolerance. And in this case, you reach, you tolerate better high intensity efforts, but you also reach a higher performance uh, at the 3015. And so the value of the 3015 is that while doing only one test, you kind of already capture the entire locomotor profile of the athlete without having to perform those tests to get those two typical uh, locomotor entities, which has, in a way, the advantage of you just do one test and you get a full profile. Disadvantage is that you cannot go further in terms of profiling, and that's probably the, the, the things you wanted to discuss a bit further, about uh, assessing player profile in terms of, uh, of load tolerance, in terms of, uh, of muscle fibers, and, and so on. Absolutely. So we're going to get onto that in just a second, but I think it, it gives us a really nice piece of context to see those three different tests, so uh, maximum speed test, an aerobic-based uh, maximum aerobic speed test, and then the, the 30-15, especially in a field sport setting, to see where which one might be the most useful. So you get maybe more bang for your buck for uh, the 30-15, but then if you want to go into some profiling stuff, which we're going to touch on now, maybe there's uh, there's alternatives as well. So I think it's really good to see that that base of different tests, which give you different outcomes, and then to give practitioners the option to choose whichever one is is correct or, or optimal for their certain scenario. And then when we when we do then make our profile, when we get that data, what can that data tell us, and how can we then start to use that to inform our training decisions? So uh, before getting into more just detail on on the use of information, just to back on the testing and those, if we mention those three, what, I, what I'm advising to, to, to most people that have the time and the willingness to do the things as as well and as, as deep as they can is actually to go for, get the three. But instead of doing the 30-15 and a typical incremental maximal orbit test, then doing maybe this time trial. So with the time trial, they do a test that, that looks different than an incremental. Rather than doing two incremental tests, you see, see, I guess you see, see what I mean. So that means you can have the full profile with the average speed of the 2K, the time trial, and your maximal sprinting speed. And then you get the 30-15 that you can use directly for prescription and, and so on. So that's, that's for me, the, the ideal is to do the, the, the three. So you get, the, again, the, the deepest level of assessment you, you can. Then, based on what you, you can do with those um, with those uh, all the, all the, those assessment, I see them at three levels. The the first level it is to understand the the actual athlete profile, which is almost linked and pretty well related to muscle fiber composition. So you know when we talk about uh, slow twitch fibers and fast twitch fibers and hybrid types of profile with a mix of both, let's say the the fastest the player, <coughs> the more likely is it to have, of course, uh, fast switch fibers. 
But depending on where the maximal RE speed sits in relation to the maximal sprinting speed, you will have either a sprinter type or a hybrid type. So the sprinter type will be super fast, but let's say moderately or not really fit. That would be the sprinter, very uh, speed uh, type of athlete. The hybrid, which is in team sport, exactly the type of athlete we want, will be very, very fast, but we also have a decent maximal aerobic uh, speed, having kind of uh, high values for both. That's the hybrid. And the typical more endurance, uh, slow twitch profile will have a very good maximal aerobic speed, but a pretty slow maximal sprinting speed. In this case, his reserve will be pretty, pre pretty, pretty limited. So basically, just with the distribution of those two, two speeds, you can directly have an idea of the athlete profile. And why does profiling the athlete like that matters is because those uh, profile will respond very differently to the type of work you, you program for them and the overall uh, load that they can support. And that's the, the second level, which is more at the, the macro Uh, level in terms of training prescription. Um, that comes from, from more recent studies when they're really looking at uh, associations between uh, muscle fiber contents or type fiber typology and resistance to or resistance, or tolerance to, to loading. And they showed very simply that speed types of athletes tolerate or developed, uh, tolerates less or develop faster or quicker uh, over, over training symptoms than uh, endurance type of athlete with a bunch more uh, numbers of uh, slow, slow fibers, for example. So that means that depending on your athlete profile, you can know in advance that some of them will tolerate greater loads than others, really at the macro level. And I think that that's, that's really, really cool. And a bit less macro now, it's more about the type of work that they're going to, let's say, tolerate better on a daily, weekly basis, and also cope, when I say tolerate or cope better, in terms of uh, type of intervals, for example, or type of work. Um, a speed profile will be well more comfortable doing repeats, repeated sprint, repeated short intervals, because that comes with his physiology, while an endurance type of athlete will tolerate better uh, longer intervals, two minutes, three minutes of types of interval. And of course, the hybrid in between should be able to do more or less uh, a bit of both. So when I say tolerate, it's because it first comes from the, the perception of this type of work. So people, you know, those athletes, they just feel better and they have less pain. They, less, they are, as I said, more comfortable when they do those kind of different types of interval. But... So that's the perception, but it also comes because of their physiology allows them to make the most of those efforts in the way they respond physiologically. So because a, um, a speed type of athlete, for example, has a lot of fast twitch fibers, he's going to develop very quickly what we call a slow component of the, of the, oxygen, of the oxygen consumption. That means that he will quickly start to consume a lot, of a lot of extra oxygen when his fibers get tired. And because they are fast, they get tired quicker. So he can benefit more on the, in terms of aerobic demands, demands from sprints than 
an endurance athlete who will have to repeat billions of sprints before he really gets uh, his VO2 to, to increase, for example. So their physiology helped them as well to make the most of those intervals. And you, we can also uh, discuss the, the influence of the, the oxygen kinetics and so on, that a fitter athlete has uh, faster kinetics, so he gets quicker into the zone as well. So that works very, very well with, uh, with uh, to matching both the perception, um, the, pre the, the, the prescription based on their, their perception and their, their, their physiology. Um, that's the second level. And the last level, it's really about prescribing uh, the actual work. So that's probably where people come from initially uh, about the ability to, to just to prescribe. And this is where the 3015 comes in as well. But instead of prescribing intervals based only on percentages of maximum aerobic speed, or some people at some stage were prescribing only intervals based on maximal sprinting speed, uh, we can just we can now prescribe uh, intervals based on a percentage of the reserve. So instead of doing instead of doing 15 seconds of work at 120% of maximal aerobic speed, we can probably do it at 20% of the reserve. And in this case, a player, an athlete with a greater reserve, will definitely do more more work or run at a higher speed than another athlete with the same maximal aerobic speed but with a shorter, smaller uh, reserve. So it's a, it's a nice way to, again, take into account the, the, the reserve, this capacity that is above uh, MIS. So if I sum up, I treat about profiling, understanding the profile, the demands, what, type, what is the type of work that is better suited for each profile, and then implementing the, the work uh, based on, on those uh, locomotor intensi uh, entities, to, set, to get the, the best and the most relevant intensity when it comes to, 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 to running or cycling, of course. But we, yeah, I've been talking for now about, about <laughs> running, but it works about cycling, actually. If we just reverse all the reference to speed, uh, we reverse that to, to power. And I think I think that's a lot of information, and there's some really interesting things that which we could uh, we could talk for hours on. But before we wrap up, I want to talk very quickly about one element that you just discussed, and that's with the with the guys who are maybe have a speed profile. Um, and you mentioned that potentially for an increase in uh, aerobic capacities, then it might be useful to do some kind of repeated sprinting. Uh, how does that work in terms of? It feeds into what they want, but it might not necessarily be the textbook way to do that, to, to increase your aerobic uh, performance. So how does that then look in terms of what you're going to prescribe to that athlete to make sure that they are getting some kind of aerobic demand, despite them not going on, for example, a 60-minute run? Yeah, again, that, that's really back to what we've been trying to, to put forward with um, the, all the, the heat science, uh, the, the, the book you wrote, the courses and everything is you have to consider always more than just the aerobic stimulus when you want to implement any types of uh, or heat uh, type of drill. So there's, the first part is, is it suited to this profile or not, as we discussed before? So repeated types of sprints, as are probably not the most recommended for endurance uh, type of profile and vice versa. But also, you have to consider that uh, with increased running intensity, 
comes an increase in neuromuscular demands and likely fatigue. So, and this, as long as we you start to get that into the, the equation, you have to take that into consideration for the, the daily training puzzle, the weekly microcycle puzzle. And the question is, are you really want to have as well those neuromuscular demands when the goal, initial goal is actually having a metabolic conditioning and trying to improve this aerobic profile. So again, if you're in team sports and you have a gym session coming uh, before or coming after or you had the day before, you want to be fresh, you might not just not choose to do repeated sprints because you don't want to add neuromuscular constraint because they had them from other parallel or peripheral content. So in this case, you have con the context adds to the player profile when it comes to selecting the most appropriate formats. I think it's uh, absolutely excellent stuff. So the one question that I want to ask before we leave, and it's less relevant to, to sport, but life in general, is what is the one thing that you see or do differently which the rest of the world can learn from? <laughs> You're talking about, about me? or yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm probably uh, just saying that what, what, what I was doing at the moment. So um, I'm working for a company. We do analysis. That's research. I'm working full full speed in a in a club, and I've been writing a book on ego. So just doing touching a little bit of everything to make sure I get the the best. I think one world always feeds the other. So you can't be a good researcher if you don't have your feet in, in the ground in the field. But you can't be a great practitioner if you don't research and ask yourself questions about yourself. So that's probably the, the triangle I've been pursuing. So am I that good, that, that better than the others? I probably don't know. But this is really what makes my, my value then whatever you put the value, I don't know, but that's, that's, that's how I can define myself to be at this, in, in, this, uh, in the middle of that, yes. Absolutely fantastic. So Martin, massive thanks for your answers and massive thanks for your time today. It's been really interesting. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can get you back on another time to discuss that ego book because I'm sure that's going to be an interesting conversation as well. Excellent, excellent. No, thanks, for your, thanks for your time and hopefully this has some uh, yeah, interest for the listeners. Thank you. Cheers. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Martin for all of his hard work today's podcast. I really enjoyed it and I hope you did at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down to bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast, there's going to be a number of fantastic lectures in there, especially those based around conditioning, which you can get your teeth stuck into. So in just a few seconds time, if you want to do that, all you have to do is use the link in the show notes and that link will get you seven days completely for free to the Coach Academy. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be fantastic if you can give us a quick review and a rating as well. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and of course, the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.